0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld, Continuing our Heaven series today with a message entitled The Resurrection of the Body. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 35 to 53 as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: The human body really is a marvel. It's beautiful, it's complex, it's functional, and it expresses who we are. Every human body consists of a number of biological systems. The circulatory system moves blood, nutrients, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and hormones through the body. The digestive system allows the body to break down and absorb food and and remove waste. The endocrine system consists of eight major glands that secrete hormones into the blood. The immune system is the body's defense against disease. The lymphatic system also fights disease and helps the body fight infection. The nervous system controls voluntary and involuntary actions. The muscular system provides power to move and includes 650 muscles. The reproductive system, the skeletal system, the respiratory system, the urinary system, the skin itself is a system that protects the body from the outside world. And that's just the beginning. Human bodies have five vital organs, the brain, the heart, the kidneys, the liver, and the lungs. The human body consists of 100 trillion cells. We take 20,000 breaths every day. The human brain has about a 100 billion nerve cells, and complexity and interconnectedness of this organism is surely an example of God's wonderful feat of engineering. It is no wonder that Psalm 139 verse 14 would say, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. And yet, as we all know, this complex and wonderful body is subject to disease and aging and degradation and death. Furthermore, on this side of the fall of Adam, our bodies can also be used in dishonorable ways, in ways in which we use them to sin against our Creator. The good news of the Bible is that when Christ brought salvation and redemption to us, He did not just save our souls. He came also to redeem our bodies. Not only our souls, but our bodies will be set free from all the results of the curse. It always amazes me that in spite of so much Bible teaching on the matter, there are still Christians who believe that the life to come is some kind of spiritual existence that does not resemble an actual physical bodily existence. Many still envision disembodied spirits in spite of all the biblical material that describes exactly the opposite. So what will life be like in heaven? If you listened yesterday, you heard me talk about the new heaven and the new earth and the dwelling place of God coming to the earth so that the barrier between God and man is permanently removed. You also heard me describe the world to come as a physical reality, a real place with sights and sounds and smells and tastes. And all this needs to be set in a context of we ourselves having a bodily existence for all eternity. But that seems so strange. Does my spirit simply get put into a new body, or what is it that I actually experience? Let's start from the beginning, and if you haven't been taught in this matter before, what I'm about to say may surprise you. According to the Westminster Confession of Faith, one of the truly great creeds that expresses well the great Christian doctrines, it says of the resurrection, all the dead will be raised up with the self-same bodies and none other. Have a look at your body. Stare at your face in a mirror, look at your hands, your feet, and say to yourself, this is the very body that will go on for all of eternity. Now, I know, I know, some of you are saying, I was looking for something better than I got. But hold on for a moment. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Is it really true that we will have the self-same body in eternity that we have today? Is that just my opinion? Or do others say the same? And most of all, what does the Bible actually teach? Let's take it one step at a time. In his systematic theology, Wayne Grudem says, When Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died, he reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive. Or listen to Randy Elcorn in his book on heaven. When we die, it isn't that our real self goes to the intermediate heaven and our fake self goes to the grave. It's that part of us goes to the intermediate heaven and part goes to the grave to await our bodily resurrection. We will never be all that God intended for us to be until body and spirit are again joined in resurrection. Elkorn goes on to explain that even if there is a kind of an intermediate state body, we will still await the reuniting of our souls to our bodies. But doesn't that all sound strange? Once our bodies die and are either buried or cremated or destroyed by an accident, how can those bodies be raised up? And furthermore, what's the biblical evidence that this should be the case? Well, let's start at the beginning. At the resurrection of Jesus, since we are going to be spending some time in 1 Corinthians 15, let's start with verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The idea of a firstfruit comes from the Old Testament. Leviticus 23 verses 9 to 14 describes it. The feast happened at the beginning of the barley harvest. Because barley was the first crop reaped from the winter sowing, it represented the very first of all the harvest that lay before the people. It was a celebration that anticipated that God would be faithful and provide Israel with an abundance of food for the rest of the year. That, says 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, is what the resurrection of Jesus is. It is the very first harvest which anticipates a great harvest to follow. Another way of saying that is to say that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the prototype, the very first of what all resurrections that follow him will look like. And if that's the case, we notice that it was his very own body that was raised. He did not die and have his body rot in the grave and then was given a new body unlike his old body. Rather, it was his old body that was redeemed, and that is exactly what we anticipate as well. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 53, Paul in great detail will explain exactly what it is we are to anticipate when we receive our resurrection bodies. In verses 35 to 38, he begins by giving us an illustration from nature. Let's read it. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Now, the illustration is by way of analogy. Just as a seed thrown into the ground seems to die and be dissolved by the soil, and yet produces a harvest so is also the death of our own bodies. The analogy is interesting. The seed that is put into the ground, on the one hand, ceases to exist in its original form. But there is surely a connection between that form and that which comes after it. Okay. The body we sow into the ground dies, and in that sense, it is not recovered exactly like it was before. There is a difference between the original and the final form. Now, having given the analogy in verse 39 to 40, Paul tells us that God designs all bodies for a specific function in mind. In verse 39, he says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. The point being that God creates different kinds of bodies, and when he does, he does so for a purpose. Then moving to the point, which is the resurrection of our own bodies, Paul brings together the idea of our bodies planted into the ground and being raised, but not exactly like they were before. And the idea that God designs each body with a function in mind, Paul now makes his point. I'm reading from verses 42 to 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And then skipping ahead to verses 48 to 49, Paul brings his argument to a conclusion. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Realizing that each body is created by God for its purpose, Paul then makes a final statement. In verse 50 he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Imagine for a moment what it must have been like for Moses to ask God while he's on Mount Sinai that he'd like to see God. And God says, you cannot see my face and live. To stand before the glory of God would be like standing at ground zero of a nuclear blast. Your body is not created for that. But, says Paul, God will take and renew the present body and make it fit for heaven and the presence of God. And when we come back, I'm going to show you five ways in which, even while our new bodies are like the one we presently have, and yet our new bodies will be unlike the body that we now have.
0: Few series have stimulated as much response from our listeners as Dr. John Newfeld's Heaven series, Offering a biblical perspective on heaven, both our eyes and hearts are open to an amazing picture of what the follower of Jesus has to look forward to. When we last aired this series, we also offered the heaven booklet authored by Randy Alcorn. Again, a wonderful overview of the promise of paradise. This booklet was so popular, we were unable to fulfill all the requests. But with the re-airing of the series by Dr. John, we've been able to acquire a very limited number of booklets to give away. So let me encourage you today to call and request your free copy of the booklet, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, While Quantities Last. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or ask by email at info at
1: What will our resurrection body be like? What will we be like in the life to come? Well, clearly, just like Jesus' raised body, which, as we have seen, is a prototype of what we will be like, we know that Jesus had a head, a torso, arms, legs, fingers, and toes, and looked human in every way in which we look human today. And so we know with certainty that in the life to come, we will be every bit as human as we are today. And yet, Paul has reminded us that our present body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our bodies simply were not designed for it, even as a fish's body was not designed to fly in the air. And so how will we be different? Well, I want to give you five ways in which we will be different in heaven. Number one, whereas we are now subject to death, then we will be imperishable. The idea of being imperishable means that we will never wear out. We'll never be sick. We'll never have a cold, never a headache, never be subject to cancer or to have some kind of a weakness or a physical handicap. We won't struggle with our weight anymore. Hallelujah. It seems amazing to think about it. But the body to come will not grow old or show any signs of aging. Will we look youthful? I expect so. I suppose all we have here is imagination, but it seems likely that all of our physical characteristics of the present body will still be there with all our recognizable features, but I also imagine both youthfulness and maturity at the same time. So the body to come, says the Bible, is imperishable. Secondly, whereas we are now subject to dishonor, then we will be glorious. I think there are several features here. I think there's a reference to the beauty of the body to come. I've often wondered what Adam and Eve must have physically looked like before the fall. I can only imagine that now after the fall, the most handsome or the most beautiful human being that we know is but a pale resemblance of the splendor and magnificent beauty that surrounded the two of them. But I think that when Paul uses the term glory, glory is always related to God. I think Paul means that we reflect Properly, all that the image of God was intended to reflect of God. One of the things that attract me personally about the glorious body that is to come is that it will always honor God. You know, so many times in this life, even in my best moments, I am aware that there has never been a time in which I was free from some self-centered motive or a lack of faith or something else. But then in the life to come, everything I do, whether in the words I speak from my mouth or the things I give myself to do or to create or to build, that it will be fully for the glory of God and as a reflection of the God who made me. Now, we've considered two descriptions of the body to come, imperishable and glorious. Let's move on to Paul's third description. Whereas we are now subject to weakness, then we will be powerful. See, on the one hand, this seems redundant. After all, we've already said that the body to come is imperishable. What more can be said? But the idea of power is clearly an idea of strength. You know, recently I've had a sore knee, and I I went to my doctor to talk about it. And he told me that even though it was sore, I should keep walking every day, as has been my practice in the past. He said, you don't want to lose your muscle strength. But the body to come will be able to accomplish all that it was designed to accomplish. There will be enough strength to do all that God intends for us to do. Now, at this point in time, it might be a good time to interject a thought. The body to come will not be omnipotent, that is, with infinite strength. Omnipotence is an essential attribute of God, and we don't become God in eternity. Although the Bible says that we will be like God, it means that in the sense that we are image bearers of God and we will reflect the image of God exactly as we were intended. It is for that reason that I assume that in heaven we will write books, create art, build buildings, study nature, and engage in the science of the new creation and conduct human activities, but that we will do all of these things to the very glory of God. None of these things will be stained with rebellion. Rather, we will urge each other on to greater heights that reflect back to the one God who made us. The life to come is not static. I don't believe what we will know everything in heaven. We will be fully human with human limitations. But the power of the new body means that weariness or laziness or depression or simply the blues— will not affect us there. There will be no disparity between what we want to do and what we do. And so a picture should be forming of the new body, imperishable, glorious, and powerful. Now the fourth description. Whereas we are now a natural body, then we will be a spiritual body. You know, at first reading, this might make us think that the body to come is not a physical body at all. But by now, we should be ready to discount this. After all, it is still called the body. Grudem says that the body is consistent with the character and activity of the Holy Spirit. The weakness of our present body is that we are often responsive to what Paul calls the desires of the flesh. You know, the desires of the flesh most often refer to those habitual, sinful patterns within us that are directed by the flesh. There are times when we tell ourselves, I'm never going to break out in anger like I did before, only to find ourselves doing the very things that we had promised ourselves not to do. That's because the desires of the flesh overwhelm the desires of the mind. The body takes on, if you will, a life of its own. But in the age to come, this will never be the case again. What we intend to do is the very thing that we will do. The body will cooperate perfectly with the desires of the Spirit so that we will live and act in such a way that we will at all times glorify God. But there is one more characteristic of the new body that is to come. See, the fifth characteristic is this. Whereas now we physically bear the image of Adam, then we will physically bear the image of Jesus. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that we're all going to be looking exactly like Jesus so that you can't tell us apart, that is physically. No, we will bear some of the unique characteristics of what we look like here so that we will indeed be able to recognize one another. And by the way, that's a question that people will frequently ask. Will we still look like ourselves? Well, I think we will. But we shall be like Christ with the desires of Christ. So as we end this section on the New Body... Were the writers of the Westminster Confession right in saying that the self-same bodies are raised in the resurrection? Well, by self-same, they did not mean that these bodies with their weaknesses will go on forever. What they meant was that these very bodies that we presently have will be transformed, that in some fashion, as Job said, that after worms have destroyed this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I've been wondering about a glorified body. I'm overwhelmed with how fearfully and wonderfully my present body is made, how carefully God knit me together in my mother's womb, how complex and wise is his creation of my frame. Now, if that's true now, what can that be when we are transformed in eternity? What will be the wonder of my body then? See, the life to come is, in some sense, the life we understand now, a physical life, but it is so much more. It is the life we have always longed for. I don't know about you, but I have longed for a life that is full of plans and adventures and life lived in the presence of a God who calls me to follow Him in everything that I do. But so much is presently lacking. Why do I long for that which I have never seen? I think the answer is because God has set eternity in our hearts. As we continue on this study, continue with me as we're going to see tomorrow that the life will lead us to a new adventure of seeing God.
0: John, thanks for today's message. And, and, you know, as you were speaking, I know you touched on it a bit, but I want, I want you to maybe touch on it a bit more. What happens in heaven to my body, for instance? If, if I were disabled in this life, if I had a, lost a limb, or maybe I was born with some type of disability or, or something of that nature, what happens to that body in heaven?
1: Yeah. So all of the things that afflict our bodies are a part of the fall the fact that we are subject to death, the fact that, you know, our bodies don't function, the fact that some people are in wheelchairs, um, all of these things are a part of this uh, age of sin and death so that the good creation was, in fact, uh, transformed by things that are ugly and horrible. Now, in, in the process of that, I, I want to say that, you know, if you're in this life right now and you're, you know, you've lost a limb, You know that in the age to come, you put your hope in Christ, you will not appear in glory with one limb less. Only Jesus will have the wounds of his crucifixion. His wounds were for our healing. By his wounds, we are made whole. So in every way, all that was lost is restored. That's the good news. That's the good news. Let me move a little bit more into that
0: uh, because we have so many people in our day and age that struggle with mental health as well. And so it's just not about limbs. It's about the whole person, isn't it?
1: It sure is. You know, it's an interesting thing, this mental health thing. And and I, I'm very appreciative of all of the work that has been done to point out that, you know, it can be an illness. A, a mental illness is, in fact, an illness. And therefore, we don't condemn people because of their illnesses. I mean, if they had arthritis, we wouldn't condemn them for that. And so I, I'm thankful for that. And then when I think about Christ's redemption— I think about the fact that all of our minds are in some ways affected by the fall anyway. And so this healing of the mind is such a great promise, isn't it? It's a great promise and something
0: we all have to look forward to. John, thanks so much for continuing in this series. We're going to continue tomorrow with another message in the Heaven series. And I know also you'll be interested to know that you can receive the Randy Alcorn booklet, Heaven, just for the asking. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. At the end of this month, Back to the Bible Canada, along with Dr. John Newfeld, will be conducting our first Pastor Bible Teaching Conferences in partnership with Back to the Bible India in both Pune and Hyderabad, India. This conference invites pastors in India to join Dr. Newfeld for intensive training in the skills of effectively studying, preparing, and presenting the Word of God. What an incredible opportunity to equip pastors to effectively engage literally tens of thousands of people with the life-changing truths of the Bible. Now to maximize the impact and opportunity for pastors to attend, we're asking our listeners to partner with us. For only $40, you can make this great ministry development opportunity available, and it includes the conference registration, study resources, and meals for a pastor. Just call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate on our international page at backtothebible.ca.